The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So I'd like to begin by saying something about these, the, the title of this day-to-day, Aging, Dying, and Awakening. Maybe aging and dying seem to go together, but awakening? What does that have to do with? It's sort of an unexpected twist in the middle of bad news. (laughs) So, the title refers to a teaching called the Heavenly Messengers. How many of you have heard the teaching of the Heavenly Messengers? Okay. The Heavenly Messengers is what catapulted the young prince who became the Buddha into his search. The sight of a really old person shocked him. The sight of a really ill person shocked him. The sight of a corpse really shocked him. And the sight of what is called the fourth heavenly messenger was the uh, presence in the midst of aging, illness, dying, in the midst of this scene that Buddha came upon was this sadhu, you could say, a wandering holy person who seemed serene, untroubled by the presence of a corpse or old person. So these four, aging, illness, dying, awakening, became known as the heavenly messengers because they catapulted the young prince into his spiritual searching, which, lucky for us, came out really well. You know, he did well with his search. He found what he was looking for. That doesn't always happen. So... um, so they're heavenly in the sense that they, they were the impetus for something unusual or transformative or liberating to happen to this human being. So the thing about aging, illness, dying, and what we're going to look at a little bit later this morning is How have we come in contact with these eventualities? Can you remember the first time you saw a corpse? Anybody? Do you remember that? Show me your hands. Yeah. For many people, that was a moment, wasn't it? It was like, oh, where did they go? Or any number of other I'm sorry, but there is someone who needs to leave from back here, and there's a Honda blocking the her thank you leaving so soon (laughs) (laughs) that's enough okay may they be well so um so so there's so, so there can be especially when we're very young as children or when you see a really old person I remember my grandfather's hands made a great impression on me when I would sit on his lap he used to roll his own cigarettes his fingers were all yellow and gnarled and I thought gee that's really I love my grandpa but that's so unusual what's going on with his hands you know So um so they make an impression. They make an impression on some of us. But eventually, these, the aging, dying, and illness or disability are eventualities that every human being comes to face in one form or another. And often it is illness and dying that most easily get our attention, and certainly the attention of the culture. 
Whereas aging works on us not dramatically as dying might or illness, but quite slowly, doesn't it? It happens so slowly you you almost don't even notice it. It's in that regard, I say, it's a kind teaching. It kind of creeps up on you, gives you time to get used to the fact that your hair is no longer what it was or the wrinkles that are appearing one by one begin to take over, you know, your face. Imagine if you were 23 years old, you went to sleep and you woke up as an 80-year-old. You would be in shock. But because aging happens slowly, you get used to it until, you know, sometimes you don't even think it's really happening. So as, as we age, we're not ill, we're not a medical emergency, we don't have a disease. Aging is not a disease. However, the sense of our own uh, confusion and loss about it can be quite intense. And when we are ill or dying, we get care, we get support, but very few people, you know, are going to be caring about us getting older. So we are in some way more isolated in our aging and largely abandoned by a culture that is very youth-oriented and just doesn't even know what to think about aging, you know. Or the thoughts it does have are not very kind or helpful. There are many negative stereotypes about aging people which get projected onto us. For some, even death is more welcome, like a woman at Spirit Rock who said she she had done a workshop where they were contemplating the decaying corpses, only photographs of people. But she said that was a lot easier to do than looking at her own aging face in the mirror. That contemplation was much more difficult for her. So right now, in this culture... I would say the culture is is recognizing the presence of more older people and it is struggling to um, present more positive views of aging. Recent titles for workshops for, for to deal with aging uh, sampling are the following. Thriving as we age. Reinventing ourselves as we age. Embracing our golden years. (laughs) Aging with ungirdled passion. (laughs) Or burning your bra is back. (laughs) The culture is looking for, you know, the upside of all this aging that's going on. This workshop is not any of those. So I'd like to suggest as a way to kind of begin our exploration that there are three main, uh, we partake of three main attitudes towards aging. We are living, we do live in the culture. We are subject to the influence of the culture. And so we partake of some of the attitudes towards aging people just by virtue of our culture. So I'd like to speak about three kind of attitudes that we might have experienced in ourselves towards the fact of being an older person. The first are the cultural stereotypes and attitudes towards old people. Um, what uh, What have you noticed? What have you noticed in terms of being older? How does the culture look at you, treat you, think about you? Yes. We'll just do a brief kind of, you know, whoever wants to say something, just raise your hand. I noticed that if there's a conversation with... Okay. If there's a conversation with um, various ages of people, the older people get ignored. Their opinions don't get any credence amongst the um, middle and especially the lower-aged people. Yeah, the older people's opinions. How often does somebody ask you, I really want to know what your opinion about this is? 
Does that happen too often? No. No. Sadly. Okay, I just want to get a, 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 a survey, a quick survey of what what people have noticed. Do you when want I to hear? My, do you oh, want to use? Oh, okay. When I let my hair grow gray, um, for the first time, the people in the grocery store helped me out. Uh-huh. Or wanted to help me out. So I would say, well, check it again. I'll let you know maybe in a couple of years or maybe sooner. I don't know. But we all laughed about it, and it was fine. Anybody else notice anything? Challenged uh, once you turn so, 90 about your driving. About your driving. Anyway. I've say been that again? Being challenged after you're 90 about driving. Oh, you about once you turn 90, it's like, are you sure you should drive? Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I know a friend of 100 that's still driving, but the reality of, of uh, I've taken the course to be a responsible driver. Yes. But I got challenged with it recently in a hospital and had to take the uh, Sanal, you know, the... <laughs> So, not serenity, but um, yeah. Well, anyway, that and the Alzheimer's test, and I passed them. <laughs> Bravo! Bravo! Okay, who else has noticed something coming their way? I have a, a, a pet peeve about this. People seem to think I need to be comforted about my age, so they will <laughs> approach me and say, "Now, young lady." Mm-hmm. Which uh, provokes me to uh, lots of aggression. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Here's somebody. Uh, I noticed in a fashion magazine, I read recently advice, fashion advice for hair color or, or styles or makeup or whatever for different ages, each decade, you know, a set of information. When it got to 70s, there's nothing. There's nothing. <laughs> You're dead. You're son. dead. So who who cares? Here's a here's a common kind of ad we might see. Defy age. I am not going to get older. Not me. No, no, no. What else have you noticed? Yes. Um, my wife and I have recently moved into uh, senior housing, and they're they're compelled there to call you by your last name, which is a, 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 an anomaly to me. Or even being called sir, it's like it, right away, right away, I'm feeling uh, ten years older. So. <laughs> huh. But I realized it's much easier for the staff there to remember two people's uh, last name rather than two people's first name. Oh, so that's that. I see. I can yeah. say, okay, this is the way it is. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Thank you. Um, I notice among uh, younger physical trainers and uh, athletic-type coaches that their expectation is that, well, sure, you can do everything a young person can do exactly the way they do it Mm. um, with no accommodation for the fact that your bones and your body might be capable of less. And if we buy into that, we we think, well, yes, that's what it means now. I'm I'm the the 60s, the new 50. I should be able to do what a 50 year old does, and maybe that's not realistic. Yeah. Who else? I fi- yes. Oh, um, yes. I find that many times I've been treated in a very demeaning manner. I'm yes. I'm being called honey and sweetie by this little post-teenager, you know, I'm being called all these things uh, with really no respect. And, Mm -hmm. it, you know, it used to make me really angry. But, you know, finally I decided, you know, I'm going to set some boundaries. So now I just look them in the eye and I just say, I don't appreciate being called that. Mm -hmm. I find it disrespectful. Mm -hmm. I find it demeaning. Mm -hmm. And why would you call a stranger, sweetie? Mm-hmm. Or honey, mm-hmm. so you you can call me. You know my name, yes. Or you can call me ma'am, or you yeah. can call me whatever. Yeah. But I find that just really, ugh. yeah, that's clear. There, there's no respect whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So good on you. Yeah. 
I have a positive note about getting old. Yes. You know, I have something positive. Um, how old are you? I'm uh, f- uh, how, 57. Okay. So I guess I'm relatively young. But when, when I um, look at a 70-year-old or an 80-year-old or a 90-year-old or a 50-year-old, I don't have any particular image because that 70-year-old could be athletic, you know, cognitively very bright, still working, or it could be a 70-year-old who's dealing with chronic diseases or, mm-hmm. and, and really debilitated. And yeah. even in our... In our culture, the, the movie stars, the actresses, the actresses, they're working until they're 70, 80, 90 years mm-hmm. old. So for me, I don't have an image of what does a 70-year-old look like or should be doing. Okay. What does an 80-year-old look like? Yeah, great. So, you know, that... Thank I, you I for that. Think, I do think we, it's changing. We, yeah. Well, perhaps. We'll see. Who else? We have one over there. Well, I'll, I'll speak up because I'm kind of counter-trending, I guess. Um, I, what, what I've noticed, I have a neighbor who's about 76, 78 years old. I'm 69. And he's always saying things like, if, if I go back for something, he'll go, oh, welcome to the golden years. You know, he's like this. He's really invested in this whole thing, right? Uh-huh. You know, memory, and this is what you, you have to look forward to. And essentially, I ignore him completely. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, I'm very active, uh-huh. you know, and there's a part of me, I have a great deal of aversion. I would not have been here today unless I was asked to record. That's, I see. That's the truth of the matter. Yeah. Because I'm just living my life mm-hmm. in the moment. Yeah. This is it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like, oh, okay, this is going to happen next. Mm-hmm. I don't know that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like this. Mm-hmm. This is 69 is like this. Yeah. Whatever. You know, my experience of 69 is like this. Yes. Your experience of 80 is like this. 90. We do have a 90-year-old in here, I yeah, think, now, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, she came a little late, so welcome. So. That's a, another decade, you know, that we're, we're tapping into. But so I, I, have a, a lot, I have a lot of aversion arises around this whole topic. You know, and I'm glad I'm here. Yeah. You know, I'm grateful that I'm here. Circumstances worked out. But I I really object. And I get called pops in the lineup. I surf. So I'm I'm always getting called gramps or pops Uh Uh by 20-somethings, you know, and so forth as they rip by me, you know. What are you doing, pops? You're going the wrong way. You know, whatever (laughs) it is, right? (laughs) I'm going... Dude, I've been on these waves longer than you've been alive. Come on, yeah. it cuts me some slack. Right, right. But anyway. So we have some feisty, independent thinkers here today. That's good. That's good because there is no one, as I tried to say earlier, there's no right way to do this. There's no way that is common for everyone. We'll all have our different experiences of this. But what I am pointing to is that there are certain cultural attitudes that are not helpful. That's the, the short and the long of it. So, yeah, one more, and then we need to move on. Um, I kind of enjoy the royal we. Well, have you decided what we're having? Uh, what are we oh. doing now, you know? Uh, <laughs> and I'll say, well, I don't know what you're having to eat, but I'm having. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a variety of of experiences, um, but there is an emphasis in the culture on on uh, on youth because there is a, something that happens with aging that is undeniable. There's change, and often with that is a sense of loss, whether it's hair or vitality or energy or appearance or capability, there is often an experience of losing, of, of not having everything that one once had at one's beck and call. There's, uh, so then we come into the domain of what, I, what we could call the ego, the small self that has had a experience of life where they have felt, you know, pretty great about everything and in charge and, you know, kind of invulnerable and all of that. And then this, this, this sense of things changing begins to 
occur or this sense of losing what one had, whether it's a job or a relationship or a house or all kinds of things can be lost as we get older. And so our culture offers us opportunities to recapture the youth. Here's a cartoon from the New Yorker magazine uh, that is a, a, a group of older people on a, the porch of an old age home, say, who are in their rocking chairs looking kind of, you know, worn down. And in the midst of them is this babe, like think Marilyn Monroe at her finest, you know. She's all dolled up with the hair and the boobs and the bikini and she's sitting there in in the midst of them and she says she's saying to them it cost a bundle but i can't tell you how much better i feel about myself <laughs> and that's how we want to you know we want to age feeling really great about things just so here is also an ad that came to me and in the mail about um, 50 trillion cells washed, repaired, and you are young again. You know, the, the cure of the vitamin or the medicine or the, the magic pill that will take away all signs of aging. Of course, not everyone can afford cosmetic surgery, and so a certain level of denial may be more common among those with the financial wherewithal to make such changes, you know, to have endless puffing and repairing and, you know, replacing body parts. I see in myself another kind of denial, which is I've always been an active person, an energetic person. I've been blessed with good health, a strong body, so it has taken me some years to recognize that I, I simply cannot do what I used to do and say in terms of teaching. I cannot fly to the East Coast and teach at IMS and be up by four in the morning ready for the early sitting. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's, those days are gone. That's long gone. That's not even a possibility, nor would I want to put myself through that. But the habit is to say yes to whatever opportunities come. You know, of course I can do that. But there comes a moment, and there will be, I promise you, whether you are in touch with it yet or not, when you will not be able to continue as you have. It's just reality setting in. So from the ego's point of view, the small self that likes everything certain ways... Aging is mostly about this sense of loss, as I said, loss of power, loss of the roles that we once assumed, loss of attention, of, of being considered or being at the center of things. In your families, are you the center of things anymore? You know, at one point you were the center. You were the mom or the dad around which everything else revolved. Is that still true? No, I would say probably not. So in that loss, sometimes we realize something, which is that, oh my goodness, what do we realize? Anicca? I thought that's who I was. The mom, the dad, the provider, the whatever that role was that we assumed that took up so much of our time and attention, we thought that's who we were. And lo and behold, it gets revealed, oh, that is only a temporary situation. The fact of change begins to become more apparent. The fact that we are not uh, the roles we play in our lives. We are not um, the energy or the vitality that we once assumed we had. We're not the, the work that we used to do in the world. Those are not a definition of who we are, not anymore. And so it opens us to these realities. This is from... Um, the San Francisco Chronicle newspaper, 
has a uh, little column of things overheard on the street. And this was overheard on Market Street. Two young women. One young woman was saying to the other, you know, in this world, there's old people and young people. We just lucked out. (laughs) Won't they be surprised? Another cartoon from the New Yorker, a couple in the minister's uh, office planning their wedding vows. And one is saying, uh, the, 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 it looks like the groom is saying to the minister, we'd like you to leave out the, the poor sickness and death parts. They're a little dark. We would like to leave out the parts of life that we cannot, that are here with us, whether we have prepared for them or whether we have thought about them or whether we are uh, wanting to allow them to appear or not. Anicca, the teaching of Anicca, will appear. The teaching of anatta, of emptiness, of all the things that we take to be ourself, will appear. And that is why aging is such a ripe opportunity for understanding the Buddha's teachings, for understanding what he was pointing to, and what is, for us, one of the doorways to freedom, to liberation. Because these understandings of the nature of suffering, the nature of change, the nature of emptiness, these are all considered very powerful doorways to spiritual awakening. The Buddha said, what has the nature to grow old will grow old, and I am not exempt It's in our nature to age. It's not a mistake. It's not that we have a poor lifestyle or that we should have taken better care of ourselves or taken more vitamins. It's not about that. It's in our... We're, we're, we have a... What is it called? Um, shelf life. <laughs> we all come with shelf life. It is part of our nature The Buddha said, what has the nature to become ill will become ill, and I am not exempt. What has the nature to die will die, and I am not exempt. That I am not exempt part, how do you feel about that? Huh? It stinks, because we'd like to think we are exempt. Well, that's all very fine for those Buddhists, you know. But I have a different plan in mind. So I'd like to read you a story um, from your lovely teacher, Gil, about some the dharma possibility of all this so we have the culture's attitude we have the 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 sense of personal loss that the ego feels and then we have the teachings of the buddha the dharma comes with an attitude that we can learn from about these eventualities and so here's a lovely story from gil that really captures this Turn, turnabout of our understanding of what this attitude might be. And it's the story beginning, uh, it's the story called The Pilgrimage. Where this fictitious abbess in a fictitious monastery is, gives many teachings. So here's, here's the teaching. At the beginning of every year, the abbess would meet with the new monks and nuns who had joined the monastery the preceding year. Pack your bags, she would say. I'm taking you on a pilgrimage to the holy sites of Buddhism. 
knowing of the pilgrimages to the places in India where the Buddha was born, enlightened and first taught and died, the new monastics couldn't believe their good fortune, especially because after their first few months in the monastery, some of the new residents were bored, some were restless, and some were unsure why they were there. On the day of the departure, all the older monks and nuns stood by the gate to send off the abbess and the new monastics. Leading the group, the abbess first took them to a hospital. There they visited the sick. The abbess... Then the abbess took the group to an old age home. The new monastics, many of whom were quite young, were amazed at the ravages of old age. The abbess then took them to a hospice. In the hours there, they spent time with people in all stages of dying. The last few hours were spent in silent vigil with someone who had just died. The abbess then led the group back to the monastery. There they visited a nun sick in the infirmary. They were struck by the sparkle of joy which radiated through the tired eyes of the patient. Then they went to visit the oldest resident of the monastery, a 96-year-old monk. The group was awed by the love and acceptance that shone forth from the toothless, frail, and stooped man. Next, the abbess took them to the hospice wing. Here they were introduced to a nun who, only days from her death, radiated a palpable peace that lingered within them for hours after. And finally, the abbess took the monastics to the meditation hall. When they were all seated, she said, You have now seen the holy sights. These are the sights that motivated the Buddha to awaken. Once you are awakened, you will no longer be troubled when you encounter old age, sickness, and death. So this represents, of course, the possibility that we are all uh, so fortunate to be practicing in this understanding because this is the fourth heavenly messenger. This is this possibility of liberation from suffering from the ignorance of believing that things last forever or the ignorance of thinking that who we are is some kind of permanent state of being. So this is where the fourth heavenly messenger is so important. Aging, dying, illness, yes, these are eventualities, but they point to this possibility of liberation so that we too can be untroubled when we are ill, when we are dying, etc. So two stories from the Buddhist time. One story was from uh, a time when, when the, uh, one of the disciples of the Buddha, a lay man, I believe, was very gravely ill. And he wanted to see the Buddha, so the Buddha came to visit him. And the Buddha said, how can I help? Is there, what can I do, what can I offer you? And the Buddha asked, the, the man said, please give me teachings. So he said, okay, what's important now is though your body is sick, let not your mind be sick. Thus you should train yourself. Though your body be sick, let not your mind be sick. Thus you should train yourself with this very clear understanding that the body is what gets sick, the body is what dies. But what about your mind? What about the state of your mind, the state of your consciousness as you are ill, as you are dying? That is what we can give some attention to. That is what we can practice with so that even though we are suffering from whatever, the mind can still, as in the story, be untroubled. Does that seem way far off, or does that seem like a possibility to you?
What do you think? Does it seem like a possibility, a real possibility, not just some fantasy idea? Yeah. Um, I wanted to share that before when we talked about old age. I have a mother who is 100 years and... Hold it up. Uh, oh, I, have, I wanted to share that before when we talked about old age and the pictures we have. I have a mother who is 100 years and 8 months. And that's exactly what I wanted to share. Her body, she, her mind is so clear like a mm-hmm. 20-year-old. And she has never done Buddhism or any Dharma yeah. teacher or anything. But, um, and she always said, yeah, my body is worn out. Yeah. But I'm glad in the morning, she's blind, in the morning I can see something still and can dress myself. Mm. So um, she is a wonderful example for me. Beautiful. How to age yes. and still keep your spirit up. Yes, 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 beautiful. And you wanted and, and John, one thing I want to tell you too, and I will be more careful. I totally love it when somebody says sweetie to me or darling. So, and I'm using it too because it's like an English custom, and I don't want to offend anybody. But um, okay, so a different. Okay, here's here was a comment right here. Yeah, um, what you just said brings to mind something a, a little bit different because um, I I agree in principle with all of that and. I kind of live my life uh, as best I can with that as a goal. But we're also living in a time where we're seeing a lot of Alzheimer's. We're, we're seeing a lot of people who are losing the capacity of their minds. Uh, and that's part of the body. But mm-hmm. nevertheless, we're, our practice mm-hmm. is about training the mind. And, that's right. And we may reach a point where we are no longer able to train our mind. Yes, um, this is true. Yeah. So there's, there's different aspects of the mind. Very briefly, I don't want to get all carried away by this, but briefly, there's the cognitive aspect of mind, which is connected to the brain, which is the body. Yes, maybe that will exhibit dementia, Alzheimer's, However, there's another aspect of the mind which we could call awareness where it, it's not so it's not about content it's about being awake, being here, being present. So I don't know, I'm not an expert on this topic, but I do know one thing that practice trains us to be present, to be here. And that habit for me at least has become pretty ongoing and pretty, I can pretty much count on it to show up, you know. I I get lost in thought like everybody, but eventually I come back and I'm here and I'm awake and I'm present. That habit, I'm counting on that habit. (laughs) That habit of being here, of being present and being aware seems to me to be untouched by whatever else is happening. Yes, one more. Richard. So you know that Sylvia's story about her one of her teaching uh, peers who yes, became yes, Alzheimer's. Yes, yes. You know that story? Yes. I'll let you. You want to tell it? No, you. You. Seem oh, okay. To want to tell so uh, Sylvia Bornstein told a story once uh, on retreat years ago, where she had a peer, a Dharma teacher, who started to become Alzheimer's. And he was homebound, mostly. So whenever anybody came to the door, he'd open the door, big smile. He'd say, I don't know who you are, but you're welcome. Come on in. Yeah. <laughs> so right. I think that's a demonstration of that yes, aspect of mind. Yes, yes. So that, this, is, this is kind of both our comments are pointing towards the uh, good habit that we develop in practice of being open-hearted, kind, welcoming to whatever arises, of being present, being here, being open, being aware of many things, maybe not aware of like things that require memory or cognitive capacities. But in other ways, there is a sense of still being very present. We do need to move on, I'm sorry. Um, so there's another story that I'd like to share of the Buddha himself. What did he do when he was old and his body was frail? What, what can he tell us about his own practice? So this is what he said. 
I am old now, Ananda, and aged. My years have turned 80. Imagine, he had lived as a monk, you know, all from the time he was 35 till 80. Mostly, they had a pretty hard life, you know, wandering around, sleeping outdoors, sleeping on the ground, you know, taking the food offered and the rigors of monastic life. He was, so here he is at 80, still wandering around. I mean, to me, it's exemplary. So my years have turned 80, just as an old cart is kept going with the help of bamboo strips. It seems to me as if my body is kept going with the help of bamboo strips. The only time my body feels at ease is when, not attending to any theme at all, I enter and remain in the themeless concentration of awareness. The themeless concentration of awareness. In other words, not about any particular content, but just in the abiding in the awareness itself. Therefore, each of you should remain with the, with the Dharma as an island, the Dharma as your refuge, without anything else as a refuge. And how does this happen? And then he goes into the four, four foundations of mindfulness, the focus on the body, on the feelings, on the mind states, and the mind itself. So there he is practicing, even as his body is falling apart. So we can do this. We don't have to wait till we're old and sick to b- develop the habit of mindfulness, to develop the, the capacity to um, train and help the mind stay well, even in the presence of illness or dying. I want to see how I'm doing with time. This is my, my, uh, my uh, struggle today is to stay on, t- let's see, where's my, yeah, I see the clock, I just need to look at something else. Um, okay. So I want to, before we take a break and do a walking, I want to um, talk about, I, I, I will try to talk more briefly than I was going to, about the new research in gerontology, which is pointing to life after 60 for many people. So many people now are living longer and healthier lives there was a National Geographic magazine that showed a a, a little baby on the cover. And it said, this baby will live to be 120. No joke. The new new life expectancy is that living to 100 will, will no longer be so exceptional, that more and more people will be living into their hundreds. So... This idea of people living longer, hopefully healthier, speaks of, in the demographic world, of a new developmental stage in human life, really. That, that this has not happened before in human life, that people are n- not just living a few years after their adult life is over, say, at 60 not just a few years and then dying, but actually living a long time. I like to say to people, so if if the idea is to live to 120, when you reach 60, you're only halfway there. What are you going to do with the next 60 years of your life? That's a pretty amazing thought, isn't it? What's it about? What's it for? So this question of what is the purpose and meaning of life 
with that kind of lifespan, you know, what is it about? Is a question. So it is said there are developmental tasks of this new developmental stage that we are in the process of defining and discovering that the old ideas about aging and longevity are are um, being revised, you could say. So we are looking at a whole new kind of understanding of what this is about, this stage of life. So... Uh, so we so we take that piece of demographic reality and we add it to the intent of Dharma practice, which is to be liberated from suffering, and we see that perhaps what motivates many of us is to use this stage of life to deepen our own understanding, to deepen our own practice, so that when dying... When our death does come, we are well prepared and we have given it enough preparation and thought that we feel it is a a vital part of our practice. It's not something other than our Dharma practice itself. So now, and perhaps even more in the future, I think that people will be having conversations about this. What is this stage of life about? What is it that matters to you now as you, as you are aging and as you are looking to death? So in the Buddhist tradition, the fact of death, the uh, relationship to the fact of your own death is cause for reflection and contemplation. It is seen to be a help to, for us to understand what our task is. What is our task as we get older? Everybody can define that for themselves. And, and it is not, again, that this is how you must define it. But this idea of defining and knowing what you're about at this stage of life is really important. And the awareness of death heightens our sense of what the task is. So there's a a program I started at Spirit Rock last January called, called A Year to Live, Living Your Life as If You Only Had a Year to Live. And so we are in the middle of it. We're seven months into it now. And there's about 50 people in the program. We meet once a month. And we're using this imagination of uh, that we're all going to die in January as a goad to heighten our own awareness of what, what's important in our lives, what's incomplete, what do we need to take care of before we die, how can we prepare for dying, what is our understanding of death itself. So on the flyer that was given to you or you saw for this for this day long, many of the tasks of this stage of life are listed in the description. And I won't go over all of them, but this idea that um, there are tasks and that they are in part what attracts us to working with the Dharma, working with our own practice to come to be able to complete those tasks for ourselves. Also, in the Buddhist tradition, the idea of um, using the awareness of death as a goad for our practice is not at all unusual. In the Buddhist tradition, it is said there are three kinds of practitioners. The one who dies with no regrets. You've completed your... Uh, whatever needs completing in your life. The one, the second kind is the one who has no fear of death because they understand it. 
usually fear of death is is based on some misconception or some some unexamined ideas or beliefs. And the third kind of practitioner is the one who looks forward to death as the greatest opportunity of, for spiritual awakening. So this reframing of the the value of contemplating death is really an important piece of what I wanted to communicate to you here today. That And later today we'll do a, a communal contemplation together, a traditional Buddhist contemplation, because this is, this is so, this is, this is part of our practice. So now I want to give you an exercise, suggest an exercise for you to reflect on while you do a walking meditation. So here's, here's what I'd like to encourage each of you to to think about. If you could choose the time frame of your death, what would it be? I'm going to give you three choices. If you could choose the time frame of how it is or when it is you die, would you prefer a sudden and quick death with no warning or anticipation? Would you prefer a death with a very short prognosis of less than a week? Or would you prefer a death with a prognosis between three and six months? It's your choice. So I'd like you to contemplate this as if we had choice. We don't, but as if. Because this will reveal something about your own sense of purpose and meaning for this stage of life. Is that clear? Any questions? Okay. So what I'd like to do is break for a walking meditation for 30 minutes. Is there any outdoor walking around here? People know where that that is. Okay. So we Okay, so we'll do, I'd like to keep the walking period in silence so you really have a chance to take these three choices into your, your own contemplation and see what, what comes out of it. And um, we will ring a bell at what time? What time do you like to ring the bell? Okay, so, so what time will that be? Yes, let's ring a bell at at 11:45. Yeah, will you do that?